Oscar Poker. Welcome to episode nine of Oscar Poker. This week we have special guest Marshall Fine from Hollywood and Fine and Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com and your regular hosts Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com and Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com. Okay, this is Jeffrey Wells speaking. This is Oscar Poker number nine, and um, um, good, good to be uh, in a in a groove that uh, we all feel we're really accomplishing something here. We're, we've really uh, we've, uh, soared past Chris Tapley and Ann Thompson and Nate. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. no, no, we should no. I don't want to say that. I don't no, think you... that. I don't know why that came out that way. Blurted <laughs> just, just out. I'm sorry. We would like to say that we love their. Podcast. Yes, I really like those guys, and uh, personally, I love their stuff. And I'm sorry it blurted out like that. <laughs> the undercurrent, the undercurrent of things sometimes comes out. I'll tell you why. Because I just the reason I was starting late, and I'm sorry for, for starting late, is that uh, I was inspired by uh, reading the latest Esquire with uh, Christian um, um, Bale on the cover. Mm-hmm. Did you guys? Any of you guys happen to read the new Christian Bale interview? That was, I, read- I haven't. I haven't read it yet, though. Yeah. Yeah, Boy, it's really it's really pretty good. It's it's, it's one of those exceptional interviews in which he uh, he just rails on about the about you know like sort of Russell Crowe like about how he can't abide with the banality and the and the rituals of being uh, excavated by uh, a guy who probably wants to be writing novels, but he's doing this instead, and just the whole uh, and he and 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 he really does uh, have a this this angry uh, but but fascinating uh, honesty about the guy. So you can see where all his good performances come from it's just one of those he's certainly not a person who's digging into the the tape file for autopilot uh, responses hmm. so jeffrey Ressner just wrote me poor ronnie chasen there's the funeral starting in 40 minutes mm-hmm. uh, we, but we should uh, we should mention that i feel uh, like just for openers this is one of the uh, saddest uh, and, and most shocking things that has ever happened to uh, anyone in my realm um, Marshall, did you ever happen to run into uh, Ronnie Chasen? Uh, I can't say that I have. I've uh, I, I knew the name, uh, but I don't know that I ever really had any dealings with her over the years. Okay, and Sasha, I can tell from your response you don't you didn't know her really. Or did no, you? I actually did. I was a oh. little bit shocked to to um, open up my email my inbox yesterday and and happen upon one of her many many emails to me, and uh-huh. uh, she was actually pushing. Um, um, Michael Douglas for supporting for Wall Street too, and you know every one of her emails were always really nice and professional. You know they were never awful. Uh, you know she was uh, never trying to be my friend. She was always just about the business, and I really right. appreciated that. But really, I have I have many emails from her just sitting on oh. my hard drive. It's very surreal. I didn't even know she was representing uh, Michael Douglas. I didn't know that she never called me or you know, got in touch with me about that. I don't know if she was representing him, but somehow she was in. She was, you know, doing the Oscar strategy stuff for for that performance. Okay. That was the last email I got from her was about him, actually. Okay. All right. So. Well, it's a very it's one of the most tragic things I've ever personally experienced. Uh, I've never known anybody uh, to have been who I've never known anybody in my life who's been who was murdered, and it was awful. I just kind of don't know. It's just one of the most shocking things that that could happen. That I'm um, feel um, that um, it. it it, it gives you a sense that that there's really a lot more unruliness out there 
than we like to acknowledge. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's very unsettling. And I'm very sorry for her and for all her friends and family. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's crass to speculate. Probably is. But, um, I, you know, one would think that this was a, uh, you know, a hit, a hit for some either probably money or. Um, That's what the uh, Hollywood Reporter was advancing uh, very, very sloppily, if I may add. They said it was planned. That's that's a really strange conclusion to come from. I'm not saying I know anything, but it just seems really strange. Really? I, I don't think so because, you know, why else would, would she get shot five times in the chest at that specific moment? It can't really be random unless they thought she was somebody else, right? I have to figure. It, it's, it's, it's just hard. It, it, my first reaction was that someone uh, being killed that way would have been the recipient of, of, of huge rage on somebody's part. And if it's not rage, and that's what they were ruling out, they're saying the likelihood of it being a road rage incident or a, or a robbery gone bad is unlikely. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Very sad. Well, anyway, moving on to uh, 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 less uh, uh, less grim uh, subjects, uh, I thought we would start right off uh, the top by uh, asking Marshall to get into this thing that he in, uh, expressed to me last weekend, uh, or last week, early last week, which is that um, the, uh, uh, the the belief on my part, and I think belief on uh, on, on Sasha's part, and uh, and. Uh, and many people's part is that as good as the King's speech is, and I don't know anybody who has ever stood up and really tried to put it down, although some have in the Hollywood Elsewhere forum, um, it does feel to me that if it were to, uh, it was, it is, if it's going to win uh, the, the Oscar for Best Picture, which is certainly a, a, a very uh, real possibility, that it would seem like some kind of cultural fallback, some kind of uh, uh, default uh, uh, response, because it is not uh, a film that feels like it necessarily could have had to have been made in this decade. It feels like it could have been made 10, 20 years ago. It's uh, obviously a, a history piece that uh, originally happened back in the 30s, but it's it just doesn't feel all that vital. It feels, uh, you know, it feels... Um, Again, it just doesn't feel urgent. It doesn't feel uh, really part of uh, our necessary world today. And I, I know that's very vague in my um, the way I've said it. But Marshall, maybe you could try to explain why you feel uh, that uh, I'm missing something. Well, I, don't, I, I just I feel like you're approaching this from sort of a zero sum thing. That that uh, if the King's speech wins, it means that uh, there's there's something wrong with the perception of the social network, um, which I I feel like that's that's what the split has already come down to, uh, in spite of the fact that we haven't seen all the movies of the year, that uh, people are setting these two up as, as somehow as opposites, hmm. that uh, uh, if one wins, the other loses, and it's and it's you know a reflection on the culture, and I don't think that's true. I don't think that. I don't feel like the King's speech is old-fashioned. Uh, I think it is traditional, but I don't think it's old-fashioned. I feel like it's uh, a character piece as opposed to a story-driven piece, mm-hmm. which would take it out of the mainstream, I think. Uh, but it's it just you know it's more audience-friendly in some ways than the Social Network, which I don't think is 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 not an audience-friendly movie. I think it is, but it's it's more linear than that, and there are uh, ultimately. The Academy is ruled by older voters, and that 
uh, this is a movie they'd be more comfortable with. That doesn't mean that there is, but I don't see that as a, as a regression uh, in any way. I mean, you know, the, is this any more, any, any more traditional a movie than million dollar baby or uh, uh, something like Chicago or, mm. I mean, these are all movies that won best picture in the last 10 years, uh, you know, or a beautiful mind, you know, these are, uh, you know, the King's speech is ultimately uh, I think a character piece that really deals with emotions and deals with uh two guys and then the relationship between them in a way that is uh, a lot deeper and a lot more nuanced than uh, a conventional film ever could. And plus it has, it has terrific acting. I would say that it has better acting than the social network. Uh, So, you know, I feel like it's uh, just a better made movie. And the fact that, you know, I think that it's being discounted or, or sort of sloughed off by some people because it does, you know, it, it does have those traditional values, but you know, I don't think mm. that traditional means conventional or conservative. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, you did say older people are more comfortable with that. Well, of course, I mean, you know, because I think that there's, I think there's absolutely, uh, you know, and I've been reading this, you know, in, in, in your writings and elsewhere that you feel like there is this uh, bias against the social network by older Oscar voters who have no idea what Facebook is and, uh, assume that this is a movie about Facebook instead of, again, I mean, I think, you know, in, in many ways, there are a lot of parallels between the social network and the King's speech uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, this, of being a story about friendship. It's just that, you know, one is about a friendship that develops. The other is about a friendship that falls apart. Mm, that's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so I think that, but I think that, you know, there's, there is that bias of, you know, there's an older audience that just is not in touch with the internet. And so I think that if they saw the movie, they would appreciate it, but that they are, in, they tend not to even want to see it because they think it's something that it's not. Hmm. Well, um, I, I think that uh, that's a really interesting observation about it being about friendship. I sort of tripped on um, the two things about the films that were uh, op- polar opposites, actually, the other day when I was thinking about it. And thematically, the King's Speech is about the royals. It's about inheriting wealth. It's about a guy who has to step up and become king um, reluctantly. The uh, social network is much more American um, in, its, in, a, in that it's about a self-made man, a man who you know, becomes a millionaire, uh, steps into a, a position of power of his own doing and of his own um, ingenuity. And I just feel like it's ingenuity. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's much more um, our story as opposed to the king's speech, which is their story. There the a real robust aspect of this whole season, which we all enjoy um, intellectually and spiritually, and the whole thing is that it's more, much more fun to talk about uh, uh, the best in film and the, and the year's best, rather than focus entirely on the thinking of the of the rather parochial minded uh, and and rather you know uninteresting uh, uh, choices of the of the people in the academy. Even though, as I acknowledged. Uh, I'm not trying to be uh, self-destructive because I do uh, want to promote this because I do get my my income from this race and the money that everybody's looking to spend. So I'm not trying to be dismissive. I'm trying to be a realist, but I'm really getting uh, to talk about this. Realistically, the reason all of this stuff gets released at the end of the year is that these people are like magpies who are only interested in the latest shiny bauble that's mm. come into their view. Mm-hmm. And so they put they, – they, they, uh, uh, load all of this stuff into uh, December, uh, which kill, you know, in terms of a being as being a, as a critic, 
it's it's mind-boggling because you're seeing two and three movies a, a day that you know are among the best of the year but you know you have to see them all at once in order yeah. to to vote for awards and to to get reviews written before the end of the year uh you know why why these movies couldn't be you know spread out over the course of the year it, it all comes back to this, you know, limited attention span mm. of the uh, people in the Academy or the Golden Globes, I guess. Yeah. It's almost, it's kind of exhausting, isn't it, when you see some, uh, two or three films that are, are really are the, among the month's best of the year, and you have to kind of get the energy up to talk about them in, in a way that you feel is appropriate for how good they are. And then you spend months in the, in the swamp of, of mediocrity in, in the summer and, and, and the late spring and it just – it would be so great if they could uh, – remember this idea that somebody came up with? Was it Scott Feinberg or something? But have, have two Oscars, have phase one and phase two and have, have good ones actually awarded in the summer and then have a phase two so mm. it doesn't – so. Well, no, because it's a business. Uh, it's a, the Oscar race is a business. Um, mm. uh, the thing is, is, is in the last few years I've noticed that the best picture winner is not a film that's being necessarily held for Oscar uh, consideration. Uh-huh. They do – um, load them all up in, in December, and they say these are our Oscar movies, and they get you know greenlit because they're the Oscar movies. The you know the actors take on the roles because they think they're going to be Oscar movies, and the ones that take aim right at the Academy generally don't do as well as the ones that are just made for the sake of making a great film, um, and then they become accidental winners. Like Slumdog Millionaire was an accidental. Um, I don't think that the Coens necessarily made No Country to win. Uh, Martin Scorsese certainly didn't make The Departed to win an Oscar. And I think that, um, you know, you got to look at that. What What is your accidental hit? Mm. You know, what's the movie that is a really good movie, whether or not it's an Oscar movie or not? Um, you know what's so wonderful also about the Oscar season? It uh, At least it's a system that does conspire to deliver films of real quality in the last four months of the year. If it were not for the Oscar reality and for the sensibility that it, it encourages, the kind of films that it, it encourages, we would be looking at, at awful films all year round so thank goodness there this thing is instilled in our culture and we we look forward at least to the fall so thank goodness for that yeah are you saying that the studios wouldn't play to the new york film critics circle yeah if there were no yeah <laughs> they, would, yeah. they would be delighted not to. were no oscars <laughs> that's a great point you know if you read back on on the um inside oscar that book that that damien boda and mason wiley wrote um really the new york film critics and the L.A. film critics were just, you know, the biggest thing ever for decades, you know. And yeah. now, of course, we have a million critic awards, <laughs> critics awards, you know. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, they're all out there shooting for the, the Kansas City Film Critics Association. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I would think it would be kind of fascinating if, there, if, if the Kansas City group and the and – the, I think there's a Southern Ohio Film Critics and a Northern Ohio <laughs> – uh, or there, there's one municipality over fifty thousand people has a critics group. There's the yeah. D.C. area critics, and I would love it if there was a real, you know, some disagreement and people had different feelings about what they thought was the best actor. But they all line right up like like little obedient little penguins, uh, at, at voting the same way at the end of the year. I was so uh, dis- disheartened when they all voted for Monique. One after another, <laughs> another. They can't all feel that way, but you know, they they just followed what they felt was the right thing to do because everybody else was doing it. Yeah, and Hurt Locker too. I mean, everybody, the critics groups all voted for that and that's 
part of their job. They should champion one of those groups has to champion like a, a smaller film that needs a, a boost of momentum. It and they didn't do it at all. Yeah, yeah, they they don't because they doesn't line them up with the Oscars to be an influential um, voting body. Once they do that, they're taken right out of the of the game. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So if they want to be in the game, they have to kind of agree. And and I think people are sort of in. Imbi- I don't know. Maybe human nature is such that to to stand apart and be different is is can be humiliating. It's a risk you take of being, you know, exiled from the tribe. You yeah. want to be part of the tribe. You want to be thought of as someone who's in the know, you know, who's who agrees with everyone else and, you know, and I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Says the armchair anthropologist. <laughs> well, I, you know, I felt really good though actually that they all agreed about Hurt Locker cuz uh, that was a, a really significant thing, as Tom O'Neill said a couple of weeks ago, that it really would not have happened like that. Probably, we've never seen a, a, a little movie of that type to win the best or the best uh, picture Oscar. You know, that was a pretty significant thing. I thought. I thought. Well, spe- speaking as someone who's been voting in the New York Film Critics Circle for twenty years now, um, I can tell you that consensus is the last thing that's on anybody's mind at those meetings. Hmm. Uh, that uh, it's. It's not contentious, but uh, it's it's not uh, amicable either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not like there's a lot of discussion. There, there's rarely any discussion other than over procedural points. But that I mean, you know, and also we're usually one of the first groups to vote. That's right. So yeah. I can't talk about you know what kind of effect that has on on other groups' choices. But you know, ultimately, you get a bunch of critics together in a room. Uh, each one thinks the other one is full of it. Uh, that, you know, that, if, they, that if, if if another critic agrees with me, it's because he has the good taste to do so. And if he disagrees, it's because he's a moron. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so funny. Uh, and, you know, you you are not going to get. You know, I mean, I've, I've I'm not on the national uh, national society, but mm-hmm. I, I understand that they do have discussions. And yet, I can't imagine any critic having his mind changed by a discussion over the merits of a movie. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you're a critic because you have strong opinions, uh, strong enough that you're willing to express them in print right. uh, and take the uh, slings and arrows that come your way from people who disagree with you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not going to go into one of the, you know, you're not going to go into one of these meetings uh, willing to have your mind changed. The, the, right. the most that my mind has changed in the voting is when I'm voting defensively against something I don't want to win oh, uh, as opposed to advocating for something mm-hmm. that I do. Yeah, yeah. So, Marshall, hey. what would be a movie this year that you would feel that you needed to fight against? Like, what would be? Do you think that it's going to be the King's Speech for the for the New York Film Critics? Oh, I, uh, I think that that's going to be a dog. That it'll be a dogfight between the King's Speech and the Social Network. That there are going to be people who are, you know, sort of split down the middle on that, and you know, the ones who like the one will be trying to to block the other one. You really think, Marshall, that there's going to be a significant uh, uh, percentage of the New York film critics that are going to argue hard for uh, giving the best picture of the King's speech? I wouldn't have thought that would be the case. Um, well, first of all, as I said, there's, there are no arguments. It's, it's strictly we vote virtually. It's a secret ballot, and we read off the totals, and then, and then we vote again when, there's, when somebody hasn't won. But there's no debate. Oh, wait a minute. I heard, I heard the, uh, somebody reported from one of the uh, – uh, when Rex Reed uh, re- said uh, somewhat dispiritedly, so that's it. We're going to give the award to this person. Remember that? Right now, that was after the voting was finished. Oh, okay. That was his reaction. Oh. But, I mean, really, in uh, 20 years of uh, mm. voting with this group, the biggest argument I can remember having was over – the movie Thelma and Louise. Some people were mm. voting for both actor- actresses, 
as best actress. Some were voting for one, some were voting for the other. And the big argument was, well, does a vote for both count as a vote for each? Mm. And vice vice versa. And that went on for an hour. Uh, And then ultimately, neither of them won. Could we... (laughs) What a great story. (laughs) Could we segue briefly into speaking, uh, talking about about Rabbit Hole, which uh, I saw for the second time, and and our uh, box office colleague, Phil Contrino, also saw in the same screening, and Marshall has seen. Now, uh, Sasha, you have not seen it yet? Oh, no, as is typical, I have not seen the movie. (laughs) That's okay. I'll just be quiet. Aren't they starting to show it, by by the way, in Los Angeles? They yeah, are. no, they are. I'm gonna I'm gonna get around to seeing it. I promise. Yeah, I'll okay. see it soon. Anyway, so um, Marshall and I and Phil are all in agreement that we all think it's. In fact, Phil thinks it's the second, uh, right next to the Social Network, turns the best picture. How do you feel about that? Well, no, I, that's just my personal opinion. Personal. I'm talking like, yeah, yeah, things that I've enjoyed the most this year. That's that's up there. But I also haven't seen Black Swan or Fighter yet, so that can. Okay. You know, definitely changed next week mm-hmm. um, when I see those. So, Marshall, what? Do, why do you think it's a strong film, and, what, and do you think it has any kind of um, uh, awards recognition with the critics or, or, or Oscars, or what do you think is going on with, with that film? Um, you know, it's I haven't heard a lot of buzz because, I, like you said, they're just starting to show it. I saw it at Toronto and, and liked it a lot. I think it's a really, you know, it's got a really strong script because it's based on a Pulitzer Prize-winning play uh, by David Lindsay Abair, right. uh, and has and one of the better performances that Nicole Kidman has given in a long time. And first time that wow. she's sort of picked a decent script to be yeah. in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's really been her problem, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it may be seen almost as like a comeback vehicle for her. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know whether the attention that it'll receive will be for the film as a whole or for her performance specifically. Uh, I tend to think that it would be the latter because this is the kind of sort of small character driven drama about an individual trad personal tragedy mm-hmm. that i think people tend to dismiss the movie and, and focus on the performance what they dismiss it you feel because it feels um too too small too interior too and too ordinary people ish too in the bedroom ish um we've been there before uh, yeah i think so i think that it, that it's even not not that the emotions are not as broad as as in ordinary people or in the bedroom. Mm. That they're much more contained and really, to me, much more uh, effective. Mm. But it's too it may be too subtle for most people. You know, there's uh, we, we have to uh, say for those who have not seen <clears throat> the um, uh, rabbit hole is that it's about the loss of a young son. It's about death in the family. It's about grief recovery, and. Um, but it's uh, it did hit me the second time that I saw it recently that it's it's uh, it's definitely doing doing it well because it is uh, every scene adds a little something to your understanding of these characters to uh, what they feel deep down uh, to where they have been. Uh, yeah, there's nothing that seems to repeat or tread water in any way. It's it's very tightly uh, composed and uh, it's always engrossing because of that. For my mind, the real sort of breakthrough in this movie was the director, John Cameron Mitchell, because his first film was Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and the second film was Short Bus. And so this is a very uh, controlled and disciplined film uh, by a director who's been a little bit out there in the past. I was going to say, it feels like, um, I I made this remark in front of the cast, uh, that it feels like it, it almost has been like uh, in the bedroom and ordinary people and this film have the same director in a way. They're very similar, I I feel. Well, they certainly have the same kind of DNA Yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, families and how they deal with a tragedy. And uh, I mean, everybody's had 
certainly sorrow in their life, if not tragedy. Uh, and it's uh, a movie that really, it's about you know getting past that, about moving on. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's really well done without uh, hammering or manipulating the audience. Right. Why isn't Aaron Eckhart being included in the actor conversation is what I want to know. I mean, and Jeff, you'll probably remember, I said, I asked the question when they did yeah. the panel after the screening of, you know, Oscar buzz. And then I said, you know, Aaron Eckhart, I hope you get recognized and the crowd applauded. And mm. for some reason, he's not a part of the conversation. He's excellent and he's long overdue. And it's, it's such a good commanding, like brooding, slow burn performance. You know, he has a scene at the end when he really let yeah. Give spoilers away, and he totally yeah. nails it, and yet nobody's talking about it. Is he well, the lead or a supporting? He's he's the lead. He's a co-lead oh, yeah. with with Nicole Kidman. Okay. They are married to each other, but he's the uh, somewhat more mature, and he's dealing with it in a in a way that's a little more. Um, uh, uh, he's a little more mature in his reactions to this horrible thing that has happened, and she's got more rage. He's he's not. She's the agitating uh, element. And he's the one who's kind of looking at her, saying, "Okay, let's you know, let's kind of calm down a little bit. Let's not, let's uh, you know." And he's he's a little healthier, I think. Um, he's just trying to have fun again. That's yeah. It's just it's not as it's like. not as showy a performance. Not that she's giving a showy performance. I mean, if anything, I think you'll be that there will be focus put on uh, Diane Weiss, who plays her mother, hmm. uh, yeah. and is a, a more uh, a showier kind of role than Aaron Eckhart does. I agree with you, Phil. That. Uh, he's terrific in this, and that he's an actor who always does good work, um, even when he's in bad movies. And this is a good movie. Maybe in the critics, uh, the initial, the, the influential critics were, but I think that uh, Phil can uh, confirm that uh, Diane Weiss said in front of the, the group when uh, we were talking about the the, the, the award season and, and everything. She says, "I look, I, I think this is this is fine, but I I I can't do this. I don't do this. I'm sorry." <laughs> yeah, she's not going to be out there. She's not going to be out there at all. Did yeah. she really say that? Wow. Yeah, yeah she was yeah. very. She wasn't snotty about it though. It was yeah, more like a very like me. polite, you know. Yeah. yeah. yeah and yet she's cool. won two Oscars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why she doesn't care about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. You know, mm. when you got two. Oh, that's two, so uh, interesting! Wow. Loosen up a bit, I think. Yeah. yeah so. All right. Well, um, can we now uh, segue into talking about the best actress? Um, Competition. We want to do a uh, King Speech. We uh, haven't done box office oh, yes. yet. Well, let's, all right, let's yeah. do box office. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also like have I said, been... we don't have to talk uh, Harry Potter. I mean, we yeah. can just do King well, Speech. Well, tell us the, the, the most uh, precise uh, estimates of what Harry Potter will do. The last thing I read was $130 million for um, all three days plus the midnight showings on Thursday. Is that what it is still? No, it did 125 domestic and then um, 205 uh, internationally, so the total's three thirty right now, okay. which is pretty ridiculous. That's yeah, a lot of money in the bank already. So off to a great start. Right. Um, you mean off to a great start? You mean they're going to come back again next weekend and do the same thing? Or oh yeah, it'll it'll do really well during Thanksgiving holiday. It won't have a huge drop off, you know, that it would in in any normal you know non holiday weekend. I mean, people are going to be off from school and work, and they can see it twice if they want to. You know, so yeah. Has, has anyone read or heard anything from a, either a critic friend, or read a critic, or read from, or heard from a friend, even, or heard from a daughter, Sasha, or anybody? Has anybody levitated off the ground about this film for what it is? I mean, apart from people feel they have to see it because this is the grand, the beginning of the grand finale. Has anybody actually gotten 
excited about what it is as a film. Yeah, I've I've talked to a lot of diehard fans that loved it. You know, they were upset when that little Dobby creature at the end. You know, I've, it's a, this isn't a spoiler because the book's out there and whatever. But you know, when he he bites the bullet at the end, um, you know that hit people. And yeah, they they like it. You know, what I was thinking the other day while we're on the the mm. Harry Potter subject. Mm. Do you guys think there could be some kind of? I know it's kind of you know getting. Ahead of, our, ahead of ourselves a bit, but do you think there could be some kind of sentiment next year where they say, okay, this is the last movie, let's give it a, a Best Picture nomination? I was thinking uh, about that in... I don't know. The problem no, is... In other words, like the, the, like the Peter Jackson thing. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like yeah, that. Yeah, but, the, but the, the Lord of the Rings, that's, that's like the one of the great storytelling feats of all time, exactly, those three movies yeah. together. Harry Potter is, you know, has been very uh, spotty. Uh, in terms of the quality of the series, and so I don't think there is that sort of overwhelming sense that well, we finally come to the end. You know, let's give it the awards that it's been denied all along. Uh, I mean, not very few. None of these films were nominated for Best Picture. All of the uh, Lord of the Rings films, if I recall, were nominated yeah. for Best Picture, but it was yeah. the, only the last one that won. Right. Sure, and they yeah, were rewarding sense. Peter Jackson's vision of the series, and there isn't really one strong uniting vision of uh, Harry Potter. And also, I have to say that I watched the movie, and I had to—I really did not have any clue as to what was going on. This is this movie of all of them was the most alienating to someone who really didn't know the story. And so, if they ever wanted to be nominated for Best Picture, which they probably don't, they would have to have a lot more, you know, generic content that adult people can understand, you know, and uh-huh. respond to, rather than just this kind of insular. This is this is making a movie of the book for the fans. And my daughter's only complaint was they cut too much out. <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, a son who's 23 who was, uh, I think, 11 when the first book came out and who doesn't read it all but read each one of these books as they came out. And that's been his complaint all the way along is mm. they left so much out of the books in the movies as much wow. as he liked the movies. Uh, but to get to I, your point, Jeff, you're 79% positive on, on Rotten Tomatoes for this movie. Uh, you know, I thought this movie dragged like crazy, and I've been a fan of the others. Uh, and I thought this movie had 40 minutes of dead time in the middle. Yeah, right. Uh, I have a 22-year-old son who was just as much of a devout Harry Potter reader when they first uh, started to come out. And uh, he was about as loyal as you can get. I asked him last night, uh, are you uh, you know, are you or any of your you know, going to go see this? I mean, this is part of your history after all. He said, no way. <laughs> Why? <laughs> he's out of it. You know, he's he's, he's yeah, moved past it. He's, he's, yeah. he's you know he's figures it, he's, they're tedious and he can't stand them and they haven't been anything worth seeing in in the for the last two three films. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's so drawn out with this this Horcrux thing or whatever it was where they're chasing what seven of them or something. It was like, come on, just mm-hmm. get to the point already. I mean, and I was I'm with you, Sasha. I was completely lost. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. I just. You know, absorbed Ray Fine's performance, enjoyed yeah. that as much as I could, and then that was it. Like other than that, I was just. I tell crazy. you, I liked the animation sequence. I thought that was really beautiful. That was the one right. thing I really liked about it. But yeah, that was unique. Yeah, that stood out. Yeah, absolutely. So. Hey, Phil, what happened with poor? Uh, just a little. Uh, you know, we we've lost the connection so much. I don't know what's what's been recorded and what isn't. But but <laughs> Sasha, I think was did get this recorded, which is that uh, she feels that. Russell Crowe has uh, has um, uh, probably run out his string because um, he's um, uh, it's both political stuff within the industry and his movies are not uh, doing anything. And the next three days, correct me if I'm wrong, was pretty much DOA. No, yeah, I mean for the most part, it only opened to six point seven five million. I mean it might like again, it won't drop off that 
much next weekend just because of the the holiday and everything. But it kind of, for lack of a better word, sucks because I think it's a, a solid, entertaining flick and it deserves a a better shake. Um, I thought it, at first that it was going to be a good bit of counter programming against Potter, but mm. it just didn't work that way. And uh, so hopefully people still get to see it because it is worth seeing. I think. Yeah, it's a reasonably decent film. I th- I was yeah. not never. Uh, I thought it was actually kind of uh, un- unusual to see a. Guy who who wasn't uh, didn't have the skills of a, of a criminal having to basically act like one and, and learn it bit by bit and I will love that film for that one scene. Marshall, tell me if you uh, don't agree. The okay. best the best scene in that film is when Brian Dennehy sees the uh, evidence, clear evidence that his son Russell Crowe is going to be uh, leaving and uh, probably you know some some way getting his wife out of jail, which is what the whole film is about. And he doesn't say a word except he just looks at him and he says goodbye. Yeah, that was killer. I was. Yeah, it was very. It was nice. I mean, I kept thinking. I kept thinking, what is Brian Dennehy doing in this movie? He's not <laughs> work until now, mm. and uh, but he, he pays off in that in that moment. Yeah. Uh, I, I personally, I think it's going to be tough for any film to beat Harry Potter this coming weekend because look at the only one that has a chance is Tangled. I think. Uh, otherwise, you've got you know Love and Other Drugs and Burlesque and Faster are the three big movies that are opening and. You know, they're not going to – it's a whole different audience. Phil, are you looking – do you um, look at tracking? Or I know that you look at uh, – you don't tend to value tracking the way others do, and you look more at, at, at Skype and Twitter. But what do you think Love and Other Drugs is going to wind up doing? Uh, we're predicting right now $11 million and uh, like a $38 million cube. Um, uh-huh. I, you know, I like it. It's agreeable enough. I think there will be some buzz about it, you know, because – Anne Hathaway's naked, what, three quarters of the movie? Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like people are going to be talking about it. It's one of those That's, things. And, mm-hmm. and it hits you emotionally too. Um, I, I had a problem with the, the brother subplot. I didn't buy a lot of that. I, that that, that's, that just killed it the second time I saw it. I can't yeah. stand that brother. I mean, Yeah, he, too sticky. And, yeah. Well, and um, it just wasn't well written enough. It was like, you know, if you're going to have him in there for jokes, make the jokes be funny. Yeah. But, uh, but they weren't. And was it you, Marshall, that said, "Why uh, do we have um, Jill Clayburg and, um, and, uh, and George Siegel George Siegel in a movie that right in the beginning, and that's it? That's the, they're never seen again." Yeah, yeah. It seemed like uh, I mean, these people show up for a, a few moments and then they're gone. I mean, these are major actors, mm-hmm. and and what are they doing there? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, so I, I was hoping that you had seen it, Sasha. <laughs> You know me. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't think I'll see that one. I don't think okay. so. But um, you know, it, it. Although the what you just said about it is the most interesting thing I've heard so far. Hmm. That um, that those two actors have a cameo in it, and maybe it doesn't seem like what you know they should be doing there. But at least it sounds sort of compelling to me. Than yeah. other than watching these two people, you know. I think that the the construction of that film, Love and Other Drugs, is tight and sharp, and it moved except for the Josh Gad character. Um, I was completely taken along with it, and I really liked the the, the, the brio and the, and, the, and, the, and the spunk that both uh, Anne Hathaway and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal brought to it. Um, you know, I just was really pretty pretty pleased, but but boy, what a come down it was to see it a second time. Oh know. dear, that's a, that's not good when that happens. Because of that one poor decision. Anyway, these are all midweek um, uh, openings. I did all. All we talked about was Tangled, Love of the Drugs, but there's also Cher's movie Burlesque, which I, I can tell right away was going to be um, minor. And then there's, One of the uh, best camp classics of all time. Come on, you gotta you gotta give it props for that. Well, <laughs> it's gonna be great. King's speech on, on Friday too. Yeah, that's yeah, gonna do for Christina Aguilera's uh, career. What uh, glitter? What was it? Glitter did for Mariah <laughs> Carey. <laughs> well, 
Well, there's a there's a DVD box quote for you, Marshall. That I think they'll yeah. slap that right on there. I totally. <laughs> That's so Sasha, do you know somebody who has seen Burlesque? I don't know a soul who's who's seen it. No, or, but yeah. I I don't think I'm looking forward to a movie more than that one this year, just because it has Stanley Tucci and Cher. I mean, it just looks like you know a beautiful disaster to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. So. But why have you seen, have you seen Tangled? Because I like Tangled a lot. No, but that's the one my daughter wants to see, and that's the first thing we're going to probably go see together. Um, I, you know, I skipped the screenings for that because I really want to take her to see it, and uh, so we'll be doing that with like a real audience, which is to me the best way to see a movie. What does the King's Speech look like um, um, for uh, what it might do box office wise, Phil? What do you see that happening? Uh, you know, it's it's poised to do really well, I think, because it's being released right into the heart of the award season. So right as people are hearing about it for the first time, they're going to hear about it based on, you know, it's getting a Best Picture Award from a critics group or a Best Actor Award. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty crucial. Um, you know, obviously the, the comparison, I think, makes sense with The Queen. Uh, the Queen did $56.4 million domestically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think personally that King's Speech could easily surpass that and and the main reason why is comparing the two characters um in the queen you have a character that the audience basically yells at and wants to shake and be like hey you know show some emotion in this situation what's the matter with you king's speech you're rooting for the character and that's a huge difference in terms of you know commercial appeal um so it, it could easily do more than i think 56 million if weinstein company you know plays it right and right. and uh pushes it hard enough mm. well it's, yeah plus it's coming out here at, at the end of november and the critic the first couple of critics awards la and new york are the first couple of weeks in december when this movie is still you know not gone wide and that will build the uh the want to see on it i think i think the strong reviews that it'll get will do that too right yeah absolutely mm. Do you guys okay. think, could I ask you just one quick question about this? I don't even know if I'll leave it in the recording, but I'm just curious to hear what Marshall thinks about it. Um, what did you think about the portrayal of Wallace Simpson and um, King, you know, the other brother, whatever his name is, you know, the man who would be King, the guy who abdicated? King, yes. King Edward. Edward. What did you think yeah. about that? Didn't you think that was kind of a really weird way to portray Wallace Simpson as sort of this tawdry, you know, homewrecker? Uh, whereas we kind of see her as more of a you know feminist hero in a way. I don't really know why, but that's sort of the perception that she's she's this interesting woman in history. Wallace Simpson, very independent sexually, and um, you know it, it did come out that she was having affairs on King Edward, even um, the secret files that were released just a few years ago. But um, I'm just wondering. I thought that that was to me the only really weak link in the film was that that whole part. I think they could have managed the story without doing that, smearing her name like that. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's probably certainly not the first time that her name has been smeared, but uh, I thought it was fascinating just because it's always presented the other way, that this is this, you know, this great tragic love that, you know, cost a man his crown. And, you know, ultimately, you know, he was, uh, he had to make a choice between his duty to his country and his love for, you know, for the woman I love, you know, it's, uh, it's always sort of this, this, bittersweet fairy tale and i guess i like the fact that they made it seem uh like that that, that this guy was selfish and uh, you know really sort of caught up in his own things and not really mm. paying attention to what his duty was and and you do have a duty when you're in that in that position and that's really the thing that uh, is makes the colin firth character so interesting is that you know he doesn't want to do his duty either, but he but he understands that he has to. And whereas his brother sort of dumps it all on him and and runs off uh, chasing this woman who uh, is probably you know in in their minds beneath him. 
Um, yeah. So that's an interesting way to see it. Yeah. So I can see how now it makes the story a little more, um, you know, a little more current in that way because it, you do you do see him both of their roles as as being different, and nobody ever really talked about King George the Sixth before. And ultimately, I mean, I think that the, the current Queen Elizabeth, who was George the Sixth's daughter, uh, blames blamed Edward the Sixth because, or Edward because uh, for her, her father dying young, because he was under so much pressure during World War Two. I mean, he died in the I think the late forties, early fifties. Early fifties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, didn't he die though of of cigarette smoking? Basically. Well, you know, a lot of people did, but uh, you know, <laughs> still he was he was young and. Uh, yeah, uh, I, she's. To, I've read that she uh, blamed uh, blamed the brother for for putting him in that position of having to uh, take over as king. That was my favorite. Uh, one of my favorite moments in the early part of the king's speech when uh, 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 Colin Firth explains that his advisors have told him that smoking soothes the soul and yes. relaxes him and helps him with his stammering. And he says they're idiots. Mm. He yeah. says yes, but they denied yeah. it. He says, well, then it's official. Mm. <laughs> I yeah. really want to see that again. I just I was so charmed by Jeffrey Rush and I love him anyway. I just think he's such a both Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush are such reliable actors. They're always yeah. popping up in these movies, you know, happy to take you know, the, the smallest part. Like Jeffrey right. Rush is so funny in Shakespeare and Love. He has uh-huh. some of the best lines and yet his it's it's almost a throwaway role, but he really does a lot with it. And and Fir- Colin Firth too, the two of them are like small character actors in that movie. And they're mm. great, you know. Hey, can I ask you one quick thing, uh, Sasha? I saw finally the the way back, the Peter Weir film that mm-hmm. had difficulty in, uh, and it's not even going to open uh, in New York, uh, so that the New York film critics can't even uh, uh, render a judgment one way or the other. But um, uh, I was, I sort of felt the way you did, which is that I said, "Boy, this is an awful lot of uh, of of, uh, of difficulty and anguish," and I and I just um, did. I wasn't sure that I was glad that I took the trip. I, it was well done, but I didn't feel finally that I got that much out of it, other than the fact that it's obviously arduous and, and difficult to 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 of that uh, anything of uh, that undertaking. The movie felt only slightly less long than their trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How long was the trip in actuality? Was it over a year? About a year? Longer than a year? Oh. Nobody knows. I don't How know long was their trip? It was it was a long time, wasn't it? Like a whole year, maybe, maybe year. longer, even. Yeah. But here's the one thing that I thought was structurally, and this is unusual for Peter for Peter Weir because he's he certainly knows what he's doing in terms of character and whatnot. It seemed to me that Ed Harris was gone very suddenly at the end. He said he was mm-hmm. going to head off and and find some Americans at some somewhere, and he was just gone he was like but he just kind of disappeared he just said i 'm going to do this and it seemed to me that when a character of his size and importance, a guy who was there from the very beginning, but he just kind of just dropped off the dropped into a rabbit hole or something, and he was gone <laughs> oh yeah I mean, and you're doing the, you're doing the math all the way along because right at the very beginning they say you know on on such and such a date. Three people came walking out of the Himalayas into India. Yeah, <laughs> this is their story, and so you're watching. So you're so who's going to be the four? Who's yeah. the one that's not going to make it? Yeah, ten, ten little Indians. Yeah. I don't really know what happened to Colin Farrell. Like he, to me, he just sort of disappeared. I don't really remember. Well, well, he said, oh, yeah, I think I'll stay in Russia. I know what I'm doing here. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm, a, I'm, a good, I'm a good criminal. I can make my way pretty well. Well, so. that was a big mistake because he was one of the most compelling characters. So as soon as he left, you know, it was like, hmm. uh, right, right. 
Okay, let's segue. Can we? Let's get into uh, best actress if we can. Unless I'll uh, I'll sign I'll sign off, guys. Too, if we're okay. done. Uh, stuff, so. <laughs> all right, Phil. I wanna, uh, yeah, thanks this again. Turn, has this turned into with all the interruptions and the block? Has this turned into the most chaotic uh, Oscar poker of uh, all the nine? I think this is really so. Yeah. We're kind of like veering all over the place. I don't feel a sense of balance, but I I'm do. Okay. I can tell it's going to be very okay. entertaining, and I will edit it together so that you won't even be right. able to tell. Yeah. Okay. With good I'm music, gonna, too. I'm going to have to sign off here, too. Oh, okay. You're going to leave, too? You got, I think. <laughs> Sorry. See, that, that's what I mean. You're, you're, you're not even engaged in it. You're leaving us. You're just, oh, no. You're going to stick it's around. I've, for the I've been doing this for an hour and a half here. I have other have? things I have to get done. Yeah. Oh. See, I didn't even realize we've been doing it. An hour I know. I know, right? Hmm. As, as much fun as it is, and certainly I hope you invite me back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What little food I had was very good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you got to do the sign-off. Remember to say goodbye. <laughs> I will say that you're about to do Best Actress, and, and I know that you think that Natalie Portman is, is like a lock. Yes. And I thought that was such an annoying perform, such an annoying oh, no. character. Really? Not an annoying yeah, uh, we should, uh, an annoying Marshall, did, Marshall has informed us uh, during one of our many breaks during this thing, <laughs> which is uh, that he, does, he's not, he doesn't understand. Why there's such a hullabaloo about uh, about Black Swan? If he's oh, I understand uh, it. I just don't agree with it. I mean, oh, I, interesting. It, it's it's a really it's a very intense movie, and it, and it certainly kept me tense. And there were moments, but the more that he inserts the horror movie stuff into it, the sillier it seemed. You mean uh, the that, imaginary stuff in her head, the stuff yes, about like exactly. the legs breaking and the nail, the skin coming off of the fingers and that kind of thing. Well, when she when she peeled that piece of skin off her finger, you know that was that had me going. But uh, you know when the feathers start sprouting and uh, and she's turning into the swan, I just thought, all right, you know, you, there are other ways to do this without uh, without going there. Mm-hmm. That he was just, you know, he had really sort of taken a leap that I wasn't willing to take with. But him. he establishes I, that it's all psychological it's all about her own anxieties her own well and, you know and it certainly kept me hanging in there to the end because i wanted to see you know i mean not to i don't want to give too much away but i wanted to see you know who was behind the door at the end right and uh, well, by the same token that scene where um where Catherine deneuve is walking down the hallway of her apartment during the last half of repulsion and suddenly these arms start piercing out for the, and and grab her around her waist and her breast well i just you know i don't think aronofsky is is at uh, polanski's level yet i, I, I think do he's a terrific filmmaker but I, I don't know that he's quite there yet i, I mean do. yeah I, mean, I see what you're saying and certainly like i said it was in a rare it was a very tense movie but i also there were times where i just thought oh this is silly okay no i did too actually three quarters right. of the way through i was sitting next to ann thompson and she was you know doing this thing with her hands when the, any gross part would come up and i was kind of reacting to it too and i was all prepared to turn to her at the end and say you know that wasn't all that that movie that was a little weird it wasn't you know i was not engaged with it until the last quarter of it and then at that point he nails it and that made the whole thing to me a great a great performance and a great film i was just so amazed mm-hmm. and astonished what she does at the end when she spoiler i can't say what she does but yeah. the, yeah. the, the, no, the no, several I, little I, moves she makes at the end to become the black swan was just breathtaking i thought mm-hmm. i think that she's you know i think that she gives a great performance i thought the character was really annoying for about the first half of the movie yeah. that she was such a wiener uh, you know, just the the whiny and shy and just, you know, how did she get to this point if she's really this? Because her mother has been torturing her because her mother gave up her uh, her own career in, in, in ballet to, to have her. And she's been guilt tripping her and making her life kind of a, a living hell. I, I also have to say I was really taken out of the movie by just by looking at Barbara Hershey. 
Uh, I'm sorry, you know, she just looks kind of scary. You know, she was a really good-looking woman, and what she's done to herself, uh, you know, just it, it's a shame. Just standard surgical touch-ups is completely no, no. She she actually did make herself look really strange in um in that movie with Bette Midler. Uh, what is it? Yeah, with the beaches, with the beaches. lips. Beaches, mm. and and I couldn't after that I couldn't look at her. So I was really relieved to see actually that she didn't have the lips. Thank goodness, you know. Mm. But the eyes, she's got the cat eyes. She does. Yeah. I don't know why they feel the need to do that. I don't understand why. But it, it did work for the character because she could be yeah. someone who's clinging to her youth, and you know. Jessica Lang has that same thing. It's like you oh. know you're good, but just <laughs> age. Be be who you are. Why did Jessica Lang, of all people, feel the need to do that? Although, you know, we don't know what it's like to be having, having you know, Jessica Lang in King Kong is so stunningly beautiful. You could almost not look at her because she's so beautiful. And then I, I imagine it would be strange to see yourself aging on screen like that and then, you know, feeling I think like... that it finally comes down to a decision. I know I'm going to look a little funny. I know that people are going to make fun of me, perhaps, because I'm going to be altering my appearance. But anything is better than what is naturally happening by the aging process, which is ghastly. And she, they can't stand it. <laughs> I don't think it's ghastly. I think it's beautiful. No, not at all. Catherine Deneuve was a really gorgeous woman, and now she's made herself look look circus-like. She's got um, a little bit of that. You're right. He's got, but she hasn't ruined herself. She's just different looking. But why does she need to? You know, she's she's a, a beautiful woman. Beauty ages well. You know, and if you you are who you are. Why try to be something else just because you feel like maybe it'll help me get a part? You um, know? The screener for The Kids Are All Right came, and my son and I were watching it together, and Jet was saying, boy, she doesn't. She looks old, Annette Penning, you know. So what's wrong? She looks okay. You know, he says, wow, look, look at her neck and everything. Ew. You know? Oh, that's a shame. That, that's not a very nice thing to say. I felt, you know, Jet, she looks pretty good, you know, and she's not doing any of the surgical thing, and she looks pretty nice, you know, I think. Well, of course, you know, Jeff, you and I are about the same age, and as, as one of my friends recently noted, he says, who thought you'd get to the age where you were begging sixty-year-old a 60-year-old woman to have sex with you? <laughs> you that's, guys. That's, that's a terrible uh, uh, notion. But, uh, and with that, I'll sign thank off. Thank you for Thanks, dropping guys. that in All right. Life. Nice meeting you, Marshall. We'll talk nice to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, do we are we still here? Phil? Are you there, yeah, Phil? Yeah, Phil? yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess I'll uh do my sign off as well, I okay. I guess. So, um, um all right. we've never had a, you know, this is this is what uh, Oscar <laughs> poker is. We actually had had guests leaving out of uh, peak and uh exasperation. <laughs> Jeff, they're leaving <laughs> us. They're leaving us here. <laughs> We're, we're all acknowledging to the world, to ourselves, that we've had just endured the most chaotic Oscar poker of all of them. This is the, the you know, we're getting, we're getting sloppier with the experience. And, uh, and I know that you're going to clean it up and make it sound better. So fine. You know, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm looking very much forward, seriously, next weekend to talking about the various actor categories, which we can go on forever uh, without any uh, extra gasoline. So I'm looking forward to that next um, weekend. Maybe decent. even we'll get to those much ignored uh, best supporting uh, categories yes and, and, and it's all it's, go sorry. ahead no, i'm so sorry no. No, no. i was go just ahead. gonna say it's always a pleasure to speak with you and you too phil i thought that it was despite the chaos quite an interesting um episode a lot of spontaneous observations yes. so yes always a good time thanks again guys okay sure. talk to you soon talk okay. to you bye-bye bye. bye jeff Take care. Okay. <laughs> okay.
You've been listening to Episode 9 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and Marshall Fine from Hollywood and Fine and HuffingtonPost.com. We will be back next week with another edition of Oscar Poker. Thanks for listening. Never grow I will never be poor, but darling, those days are gone, 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 gone. I'm better.